Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. My store is called Championship Vinyl. Turn it off! can't fire them. I hired these guys for three days a week and they just started showing up every day. That was four years ago. Rob Gordon has a successful business and a dedicated following. I used to go to the double door to hear you spin. You were unbelievable. But when it comes to dating... Hi. Hi. This is Penny Hardwood. Hi, Caroline. He's still searching for the right woman. What's your name? Laura! Now his search may have ended. She does this thing in bed when she can't get to sleep. She kind of half moans and then rubs her feet together an equal number of times. <laughs> but his problems just started. And I like you with Laura. I don't think much of this Ian guy. What Ian guy? You gotta be kidding me. Touchstone Pictures die. presents. How's Ian? He's growing on me. He looks like he could grow on something. John Cusack, Jack Black, Lisa Bonet, Joan Cusack, Eben Yila, and Lily Taylor. Obviously, I know how special Laura is. I would hate it if I lost her. You know what I'm saying, G? Get your patchouli stick out of my store! Think about it, Rob, okay? High Fidelity. I'm looking for a record for my daughter. I just called to say I love you. Do we look like the kind of store that sells I just called to say I love you? Go to the mall. What's your problem? Do you even know your daughter? There's no way she likes that song. <laughs> oh, 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 is she in a coma? Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie High Fidelity from the year 2000. Now, the studio was Touchstone Pictures. The release date was March 31st, 2000. The running time, 113 minutes, with the rating of R. The budget was $30 million, and the box office only made back $27.2 million, making it the 88th ranked movie of 2000. Now, that was domestic roast. They actually earned an extra $20 million internationally. Rotten Tomatoes gives the movie 91% fresh from 165 reviews. The critics' consensus is the deft hand of director Stephen Frears and the strong performances by the ensemble cast combined to tell an entertaining story with a rock-solid soundtrack. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 4 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. In its unforced, whimsical, quirky, obsessive way, High Fidelity is a comedy about real people in real lives. The movie looks like it was easy to make, but it must not have been because movies this wry and likable hardly ever get made. Usually a clunky plot gets in the way, or the filmmakers are afraid to let their characters seem too smart. Watching High Fidelity, I had the feeling I could walk out of the theater and meet the same people on the street and want to, which is an even higher compliment. John Cusack stars as Rob, who owns a used record store in Chicago and has just broken up with Laura, his latest girlfriend. He breaks up a lot. Still hurting, he makes a list of top five girls he has broken up with and cackles that Laura didn't make it. 
Later, he stands forlornly on a bridge overlooking the Chicago River and makes lists of top five reasons that he misses her. The key design elements in Rob's apartment are the lumber bookshelves for his alphabetized vinyl albums. He has two guys working for him in his store. Each was hired for three days a week, but both come in six days a week, maybe because they have no other place to go. These guys are shy. Sideways Dick, played by Todd Weezo, and the ultra-confident Barry, played by Jack Black. They both are experts on everything, brainstocked with info nuggets about popular culture. Rob is the movie's narrator, guiding us through his world, talking directly to the camera, soliloquizing on his plot, which is that he seems unable to connect permanently with a girl, maybe because his attention is elsewhere. But on what? He isn't obsessed with his business, he isn't crazy about music as Dick and Barry, and he isn't thinking about his next girl. He's usually moping about the last one. He seems stuck in the role of rejected lover and never likes a girl quite as much when she's with him as after she's left. Laura, played by Ivan Hygele, was kind of special. Now that she has taken up with an unbearably superlicious ponytail brainiac named Ian, played by Tim Robbins, who comes in the store to talk things over and inspires fantasies in which Rob, Dick, and Barry dream of kicking him senseless. Conflict resolution is my job, he offers helpfully, said <laughs> Ian. Whether Ian is nice or not is no consequence to Rob. He simply wants Laura back. The story unspools in an unforced way. Barry and Dick involve Rob in elaborate debates about music minutia. They take him to a nightclub to hear a new singer played by Lisa Bonet. Rob gets advice from Laura's best friend, Joan Cusack, who likes him but is fed up with his emotional dithering. Rob seeks out former girlfriends like Charlie, played by Catherine Zeta-Jones, who tells him why she left him in more detail than he really wants to hear. Rob decides that his ideal girl would be a singer who would write songs at home and ask me what I thought of them, and maybe even include one of our private little jokes in the liner notes. High Fidelity is based on the 1995 novel by Nick Hornby, a London-based writer, and is directed by Stephen Frears, also British. Frears and a screenwriter, D.B. Devincentis, easy for me to say, Steve Pink, John Cusack, and Scott Rosenberg have transplanted the story to Chicago so successfully that it feels like it grew organically out of the funky soil of Lincoln Avenue in North Halstead, Old Town and Newtown, Rogers Park and Hyde Park, and Wicker Park, where it was shot... Those neighborhoods where the workers in the alternative lifestyle industry live, love, and labor. This is a film about, and also for, not only obsessed clerks and record stores, but the video store clerks who have seen all the movies and the bookstore employees who have read all the books. Also for bartenders, waitresses, green grocers, and health food stores, kitchen slaves at vegetarian restaurants, the people at GNC who know all the herbs, writers for alternative weeklies, disc jockeys on college radio stations, salespeople in retro clothing shops, tattoo artists and those they tattoo, poets, artists, musicians, novelists, and the hip, the pierced, and the lonely. They may not see themselves, but they will recognize people they know. The John Cusack character is someone I've known all my life. He has assembled out of my college friends, the guys at work, people I used to drink with. I also recognize Barry, the character played by Jack Black. He has a type so universal it's a wonder he hasn't been pinned down in a movie before. A blowhard, a self-appointed expert on all matters of musical taste, and a monogamous, a guy who would rather tell you his opinion than take your money. In real life, Jack Black is himself from this world. He's the lead singer of the group Tenacious D. And it is a measure of his acting ability that when he does finally sing in the movie, we are surprised that he can. The women I recognize too. They're more casual about romance than most movie characters, maybe because most movies are simple-minded and pretend it is earth-shakingly important whether this boy and this girl mate forever. 
And when a lot of young romance is just window shopping and role playing, and everyone knows it. You break up, you sigh, you move on. The process is so universal that with some people, you sigh as you meet them, in anticipation. I am meandering. All I want to say is that high fidelity has no deep significance, does not grow exercised over stupid plot points, savors the rhythm of these lives, and sees how pop music is a soundtrack for everyone's autobiography. Introduces us to Rob and makes us hope that he finds happiness, and causes us to leave the theater quite unreasonably happy. And that's the end of his review. I don't believe I saw this in the theater when it first came out, though it was kind of a no-brainer type of movie for me, especially at this point in my life when I was just months away from graduating college, and I was already interning at a popular radio station in San Jose, California called KSJO. My friends and I always hung out at music stores. We were often chatting about bands we loved and new music we were checking out, and it's, it's something that I always look forward to, and something that I dearly miss now because music stores are around less and less in today's digital world. And though I missed High Fidelity in its initial release, I definitely saw it once it was released on video, and I love the film, especially Jack Black, who is just comedy gold every time he appears on screen. Okay, let's get into the main cast. You, of course, have John Cusack playing Rob. And I sort of already went through Cusack's 80s career on the Gross Point Blank episode. But if you missed it, he, of course, appeared in great films in the 80s like 16 Candles, The Sure Thing, Better Off Dead, One Crazy Summer, Eight Men Out, and Say Anything. In the 90s, he evolved from the teen roles appearing in more, you know, kind of independent films like gross point blank, though he did appear in big budget films like Con Air, The Thin Red Line, Pushing Tin, and The Awesome being John Malkovich. Ibn Yali plays Laura. Yali is a Danish actress mostly appearing in Danish films early in her career, with High Fidelity being her international break and also her best known film. As a Danish actress, she actually spent a year in America as a girl, and if you didn't know she was Danish, you would almost think she was born in America because her accent is almost non-existent unless you're really listening for it. Jack Black plays Barry, and at this point in his career, Black was best known as a hilarious character actor on TV and film. Some movies he appeared in prior to High Fidelity include The Cable Guy and Mars Attacks. He was also gaining steam with his band Tenacious D, though they wouldn't release their debut album until after High Fidelity was released. Jack Black was always the obvious character for Barry, according to John Cusack. He was a perfect match for the character. Black actually turned down the role for a few weeks before finally agreeing, thinking that he actually might blow the role. Todd Luizzo plays Dick, and Luizzo appeared mostly in small roles like Sen of a Woman, Apollo 13, The Rock, and Jerry Maguire. High Fidelity would definitely be his most well-known movie role. But just like Black, Todd Luizzo came in uh, to read for Dick, and everyone just realized that he was that character. Cusack said Luizzo would almost nail his scenes in one take. The great part about Dick and Barry is the two extremes of each character. As, as Cusack puts it, they make Rob look sane. There's also great cameos for well-known actors in this film like Tim Robbins, Joan Cusack, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Lisa Bonet, and Lily Taylor. Tim Robbins actually appeared in the movie because Cusack had been in, in three of his films. The director is Stephen Frears, and Frears was best known as a British TV movie director for most of, the, of his career starting in the 1970s. His big break internationally would be 1988's Dangerous Liaisons with Glenn Close, Michelle Pfeiffer, and John Malkovich, which won three Academy Awards at the time. In 1990, he worked with John Cusack for the first time in the movie The Grifters before working with him 10 years later in High Fidelity. Other well-known works from Frears include The Queen and Philomena. Cusack greatly enjoyed working with the director Frears and considered him an actor's director, and this means that Frears knew when to help when necessary and back off when the moment called for it. 
Cusack loved the original novel of High Fidelity and thought it would be a terrific movie. He also moved it from Chicago from London. So even though the book acts as source material, the, the movie is very different. Frears was skeptical about the location change at first, but once he read the script, he totally bought into the change. Frears actually said the parts of Chicago reminded him of London. The film became slightly more romantic than the stoicism of the British novel. The screenwriters all grew up together in Chicago, which led to kind of an authenticity of Chicago life. The script originally had Rob speaking in voiceovers, which eventually evolved into Rob simply talking into the camera, which to me was more unique and and definitely more enjoyable. Interestingly enough, the author of the original novel, Nick Hornby, uh, had another one of his books adapted to a film, which was 2005's Fever Pitch. And in the same twist of fate, instead of having the movie adaptation be about soccer, it was changed Uh, for American audience to be about baseball and Jimmy Fallon's love of the Boston Red Sox. All right, let's just get right into the movie. So immediately you know this is a film for music buffs or those that still enjoy collecting music and vinyl. You hear the unmistakable sound of a needle hitting a vinyl record, and then you hear the 13th floor elevator song, You're Gonna Miss Me, playing over the opening credits. This song originally came out in 1966. So Rob, that's John Cusack, is listening to the record through plugged-in headphones. first music or the misery people worry about kids playing with guns or watching violent videos some sort of culture of violence will take them over nobody worries about kids listening to thousands literally thousands of songs about heartbreak rejection pain misery and loss did i listen to pop music because i was miserable or was i miserable because i listened to pop music This is a film for nerds like myself who love creating lists. But frankly, who doesn't love a top 5 or top 10 list? And this is what Rob does through the entire movie. He immediately starts with his top 5 breakups, which he covers throughout the film. This starts because right from the beginning, as yet another girl, Laura, has broken up with him. However, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention how amazing Rob's collection of vinyl is. Perfectly labeled like what you would see at a music store. It's a collection to envy, though I'm sure most non-collectors would be horrified by how much space this collection takes up in his place. So let's get into Rob's top five breakups list. First, you have Allison Ashmore. This lasted six hours as he was 14 years old. <laughs> they were making out at a baseball field before the Rockford Files for three afternoons until he found her making out with another kid on the fourth afternoon. 
Number two was Penny Hardwick, and this looks like they were in college, and she's your typical 80s nice, you know, preppy girl. He breaks up with her because she won't sleep with him, and then, of course, the next guy she dates, she immediately sleeps with him. More on that later. Number three, Charlie Nicholson, played by Catherine Zeta-Jones, who was absolutely gorgeous. They dated for two years, but Rob was too self-conscious and kind of had a self-imposter complex, wondering why someone like her would like him. Ultimately, that's what did him in. He started working in a record store because of the breakup. Number four is Sarah Kendrew, played by the great Lily Taylor, who might be best known for another great Cusack film as his friend in Say Anything. When describing Sarah, one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs, The River, is playing. So Sarah was the rebound to Charlie for Rob, and both of them were kind of like each other's rebound to keep from being lonely. But eventually she met someone else, and Rob's a goner again. Number five is Jackie Alden. She isn't played by anyone and actually was just a casual fling. She simply was mentioned by Rob to not have Laura make his top five list. <laughs> so Rob owns a small record store and with his description of his typical customers, pretty much what the owner of these stores have to deal with. I own this store called Championship Vinyl. It's located in a neighborhood that attracts the bare minimum of window shoppers. I get by because of the people who make a special effort to shop here. Mostly young men who spend all their time looking for deleted Smith singles. An original, not re-released underline. Frank Zappa album. The fetish properties are not unlike porn. I'd feel guilty taking their money if I wasn't, well, kind of one of them. Morning, Dick. Oh, hi. Hi, Rob. Good weekend? Yeah, okay. Um, I found the first Licorice Confits album over at Vintage Vinyl, the one on Testament of Youth. Never released here, Japanese import only. Great, great. I'll tape it for you. No, that's okay, really. Because you like their second one, you said, um, Pop Girls, etc. It's the one with Cheryl Ladd on the cover. Oh, you never saw the cover, though. You just had that tape I made you. Yeah, I haven't really absorbed that one yet. Well, I'll just make it for you. Okay. Dick, what's this? It's the new Belle and Sebastian. Do you like it? Is that? It's the new Bell and Sebastian. That... It's the record we've been listening to and enjoying, Barry. Well, that's unfortunate because it sucks ass. Yours, I assume?
Okay, buddy. Uh, I was just trying to cheer us up, so go ahead. Put on some old sad bastard music, see if I care. I don't want to hear old sad bastard music, Barry. I just want something I can ignore. Here's the thing. I made that tape special for today. My special Monday morning tape for you. Special! What's fucking Monday afternoon? You should get out of bed earlier. Come on, dude. Play it. Don't you want to hear what's next? What's next? Play it! Say it. Little Latin loopy loo. <laughs> Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels? No! The Righteous Brothers. Well, never mind. No, not never mind. You tell me right now, what's wrong with the Righteous Brothers? Nothing. I just prefer the other... Bullshit! How can it be bullshit to state a preference? Since when did this door become a fascist regime? Since you brought that bullshit tape in. Oh, man, that's great. That's the fun thing about working in a record store. You get to play crappy pap you don't even want to listen to. I just... I thought this tape was going to be a fucking... Conversation stimulator, man. I was gonna ask you for your top five records to play on a Monday morning and all that, and you just had to fucking ruin it. Well, we'll do it next Monday. No! I wanna do it now! I can't fire them. I hired these guys for three days a week, and they just started showing up every day. That was four years ago. Then we have Dick, who is your typical music geek, so immersed and awkward you can't help but want a guy like this working in your store. And then there's Barry, who is the exact person you despise when going to a music store. He always thinks he's cooler than every other person, and no matter what music you like, he thinks it sucks. Jack Black plays his character perfectly. The fun part about this movie is that the film breaks the so-called fourth wall, meaning that Cusack's character is speaking directly to the camera and thus directly to the audience. This is endearing, and Cusack always has the knack of playing the everyman. Of course, one of the most memorable scenes for me was always the out-of-touch dad who wants to buy his daughter, I Just Called to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder. He, of course, gets the wrong guy to fulfill this request, that being Barry. I just called to say I love you. Do you have it? Yeah. Great. We have it. Great. Can I have it then? No. No, you can't. Why not? Well, it's sentimental, tacky crap. That's why not. Do we look like the kind of store that sells I just called to say I love you? Go to the mall. What's your problem? Do you even know your daughter? There's no way she likes that song. Oh, oh, oh. Is she in a coma? Oh, okay, buddy. I didn't know it was pick on the middle-aged square guy day. My apologies. I'll be on my way. Bye-bye. Fuck you. Nice, Barry. Really, really nice. It was just top class. Rob, top five musical crimes perpetrated by Stevie Wonder in the 80s and 90s go. Sub-question, is it in fact unfair to criticize a formerly great artist for his latter-day sins? Is it better to burn out than to fade away? Barry, I'm fucking broke, man. Jesus, he was going to buy one record, which we didn't even have, and then leave and never come back again anyway. Not the point. What did he ever do to you? He offended me with his terrible taste. It wasn't even his terrible taste. It was his daughter's. Are you defending that ass muncher? Come on, Rob. You're going soft in your old age. Jesus. Now all of a sudden I'm offending your golf buddy. I'm going to tell you something for your own good, pal. That's the worst fucking sweater I've ever seen. It's a Cosby sweater. A Cosby sweater. Did Laura let you leave the house like that? Because... Wow! Hey, hey. What are you doing? Will you shut up? Will you? Break it up. You're a fucking maniac. I swear to God, if you tore this thing, it's vintage. And I'll fucking sock your nose. You'll pay big. As much of a nerd I am about organizing my movie and music collections, I'll never go to the lengths that Rob does. 
Hey, Dick, come on in. What is it? Oh, um, well, we're going to Lounge Axe, and um, I was just wondering if you wanted to come along with us. Whoa. Um, Marie DeSalle's playing. You remember I told you about her today? I like her. She's kind of Cheryl Crowish, crossed with a um, post-Partridge family, pre-LA Law, Susan Day kind of thing. But, you know, um, black. Yeah. So, um, I just want to know if you wanted to come along. Barry thought so too, really. But I guess it looks as if you're reorganizing your records. records. Yeah. Um, what is this, uh, chronological? No. Not alphabetical. Nope. What? Autobiographical. No fucking way. Yep. I can tell you how I got from Deep Purple to Howlin' Wolf in just 25 moves. Oh and God. I want to find the song Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. I have to remember that I bought it for someone in the fall of 1983 pile, but didn't give it to them for personal reasons. That sounds... Comforting. Yes. It is. Hello? Well, shoot, I can stick around, you know, man, if... Uh, you want me to help out, but you really shouldn't uh, keep them piled like this because it gets really pressured. Hold on. You know, like... See you tomorrow. Oh, okay. Okay. So then Rob goes to a club and here's Marie DeSalle, played by Luis Bonet, playing fucking Peter Frampton's Baby I Love Your Way. And Rob really didn't like that song. Peter fucking Frampton. Number four with a smile? That's what I said. No, no. You said the number four with a smile. There's no the at the front of the title of the album. It's a reference to a Chinese meal in Toronto. Uh, so I think that there is a the, but I could be wrong. You can be and are wrong. I want to be with you night and day. I don't want to date a musician. I want to live with a musician. She'd write songs at home and ask me what I thought of them and maybe even include one of our private little jokes in the liner notes. Maybe a little picture of me in the liner notes. And just in the background somewhere. You live in Chicago now? 
do. You love it? <laughs> you should come to our record store. Championship oh my final. God. Yes, I do <laughs> love it. A little he bit owns of anything it. That it's on Milwaukee. Rock, soul, ska, trip hop, no salsa. Okay. Will you come? Championship final. Championship final. Enjoy your set. If you didn't have to deal with the annoying customer side of the business, this would probably be the most fun part about working at a small record store. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat. Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation Ruling the Nation. Kind of a new record. Very. In a minute. Very nice, Rob. A sly declaration of new classic status slipped into a list of old safe ones. Very pussy. Excuse me, I was in In a minute. Couldn't you be any more obvious than that, Rob? How about, uh, I don't know, The Beatles? How about fucking, fucking Beethoven? Track one, side one of the Fifth Symphony. How can someone who has no interest in music own a record store? Hey, do you still have that uh, beef bar French import safe as milk? Um, let's see. Ah, yes, here it is. Yes. How much you want for it? Ah. Uh, Oh no, you know what? I don't think I'm selling it this week. Maybe next oh, week. Oh no, you said that last week. Did I? Yeah, well, I just. I. I played. You know, I don't have that record. I'll buy it for 40. Rob. So. Now, why would you sell it to me and not to him? Because you're not a geek, Lewis. You guys are snob. No, we're not. No, seriously, you're totally elitist. You feel like the unappreciated scholars, so you shit on the people who know less than you. No. Oh, which is everybody. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's just sad. That's all. I'm sick of the sight of this place. Some days I'm afraid I'll go berserk. Throw the country A through K rack out on the street and go work on a Virgin Megastore and never come back. So missed in the quip is seeing Jack Black's plumber crack as he leans over to grab the record for the customer. <laughs> However, it wouldn't be a great Cusack movie without the talents of Joan Cusack included in the fun. Joan plays Rob's friend Liz in High Fidelity, who lets it out that Laura is now dating another guy. Lucky for Rob, he can attempt to take his mind off Laura by pursuing Marie. But he still obsesses over the new guy named Ian, who is awesomely played by Tim Robbins. This also means that Laura now makes his top five list. We get the backstory about how Rob met Laura, which was at a club he DJed at. He was smitten by her and made her a mixtape, which for all of us music nerds is a big deal, because those tapes take thought and time. It's much better than simply buying something. Time is the display of true commitment. However, Rob wasn't a saint in the relationship. He actually cheated on her knowing that she was pregnant, which led to her getting an abortion. And then he borrowed $4,000 from her and never paid it back, and then told her he was thinking about seeing other people. So yeah, this one is definitely on Rob, <laughs> though he doesn't see it that way. 
So Rob decides to call all of his exes to find out why he's doomed to always fail in relationships. His first girlfriend, the makeout queen, actually ended up marrying the, the other guy that Rob caught making out with her. This pleases Rob immensely, thinking he's all good with relationships. This actually leads to a funny cameo from the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen. I want more. I want to see the others on the big top five. I want to see Penny and Charlie and Sarah, all of them, you know, just see him and talk to him. You know, like a Bruce Springsteen song. You call, you ask them how they are, and see if they've forgiven you. Yeah, and then, and then I'd feel good. And they'd feel good. You know, they'd feel good maybe, but, but you'd feel better. I'd feel clean and calm. That's what you're looking for. You want to get ready to start again? That'd be good for you. Give that big final good luck and goodbye to your all-time top five and just move on down the road. Good luck. Thanks, boss. Next is Penny, who is now a film reviewer, and their reunion is going great until Rob finally asks why she wouldn't sleep with him. This doesn't go great since Penny actually really liked Rob at the time and just wasn't ready to sleep with anyone. So after Rob dumped her, she basically slept with the next guy because she was tired of fighting him off, which screwed her up for years to come. So again, Rob's the asshole here. So honestly, though Rob is supposed to kind of be our hero, more often than not, he deserves the misery he gets. He's basically the anti-hero. And Rob isn't ready for a Charlie reunion yet, played by Catherine Zeta-Jones, so he meets with Sarah, Lily Taylor. Sarah is just a mess, and so Rob feels good that he dodged a bullet. The movie is also a nice timepiece before everything became digital and internet-based. For example, Rob looks up Charlie in the phone book, like an actual book, not a web search. Remember those books? Honestly, I don't mind not having that bulky thing around anymore. The corded phones are amusing to watch as well. There's another great cameo from Sarah Gilbert, who talks to Dick about Green Day. Same. Jesus. Well, the interesting thing about Green Day is that um, so much of their music is, in truth, directly influenced by, in my opinion, uh, two bands. The, the Clash. Clash. Um, correct. Uh, Clash. Uh, but also by this band called the Stiff Little Fingers. Um, I think you would really love this band. Sounds great. My name's Anna. What are names? Um, my name's Dick. Is this the new Green Day? Then there's the master sales techniques, but you always have to deal with the thieves. You don't have it? That is perverse. Don't tell anybody you don't own fucking blonde on blonde. It's gonna be okay. sell five copies of the three EPs by the Peta Band. Do it.
is that? It's the beta band. It's good. I know. Bury the door! How much is this deck worth to you and how much did you steal? Can you do the math? Barry, call the cops. Oh, oh. hold up, hold up. Oh. Ryuichi Sakamoto, Sig Sig Sputnik, Break Beats, Serge Gainsbourg. What are you guys stealing for other people? No, those are for us. You guys slamming to Joni Mitchell now? Man, you're like so bigoted. Look at us and think we know what we listen to. I think you have more. So after discovering that Laura hasn't slept with Ian yet, Rob feels mentally better, so it's a go in his mind to hook up with Marie. Again, there's a reason why Rob is always doomed. He thinks he's great, but his actions almost always sabotage himself with any relationship. How could this have happened, you ask? How does he... How does he do it? How does a regular guy like me become the number one lover man in his particular postal district? He's grumpy, he's broke, he hangs out with the musical moron twins, and yet he gets to go to bed with somebody like Marie DeSalle. Can I go, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just wanted to pick up some stuff, you know, mm -hmm. no big deal. I hate that time, picking up stuff time. Oh. You know that song I play at the Kid Times too? Of course. I wrote that about me and my ex dividing our record collection. It's a great, great song. A while back, Dick Barry and I agreed that what really matters is what you like, not what you are like. Books, records, films, these things matter. Call me shallow. It's the fucking truth. And by this measure, I was having one of the best dates of my life. You love that show? Yes! <laughs> starring, um, starring, uh, who, who started the prison? McGowan! Sure, McGowan. That's Patrick. right. And then, we talk about our exes. She's dry and self-deprecating. Great sense of humor about it. And I can really see why her songs are so good. I don't speak about Laura with as much depth, but it feels even to me like I'm being intimate. I express regret. I say nice things about her. And I hint at a deep ocean of melancholy just below the surface, which is all bullshit, really. I've just invented a sketch of a decent, sensitive guy, because I'm in the position to invent him. And I guess all that charming, nervous stuff seems to work somehow, because we get back to her house and... Just happens. And then we make love. And it's great. And that's it. I'm not gonna go into all that other stuff. You know, the who did what to whom stuff. You know that song, Behind Closed Doors, by Charlie Rich? It's one of my favorite songs. I can't say we had a good time. I can't say that. Marie's a terrific woman. And then,
Neither Marie or Rob are over their exes. However, Marie is the mature one to actually talk about it and bring it up first. Rob wouldn't have. All Rob can do is fixate on if Laura has or is going to sleep with Ian. It's funny, watching this movie now makes me far less sympathetic to Rob. Now, when I was younger, I probably empathized with Rob, but not at all now. And this is why watching movies critically over the years is always fascinating. What did Laura mean last night when she said, I haven't slept with him yet, yet? What does yet mean anyway? It means you're gonna do it, doesn't it? Or does it? Just come on, what would it mean to you, that sentence? I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet. Well, to me it would mean that you're a liar. You've seen it twice, once with Laura, oops, and once with me and Dick, remember? We had that conversation about the guy making Beretta shotgun ammo off screen in the 14th century. Right, all right, but let's just say that I hadn't seen it, and I said to you, I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet. What would you think? I'd think that you're a cinematic idiot and I'd feel sorry for you. All right. But from that one sentence, would you think that I was going to see it? I'm sorry, Rob, I'm struggling here. You're asking me what would I think if you told me you hadn't seen a film that you have already seen. What am I supposed to say? Just listen to me. If I said to you, I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet, yes. Would you get the impression that I really wanted to see it? Oh, uh, well, you couldn't have been desperate to see it. Otherwise, you'd have already gone. Right, I'm not going to see that movie. But the word yet. Yeah, you know what? I get the impression that you wanted to see it. Otherwise, you'd have said you didn't want to go. But in your opinion, would I definitely go? How the fuck am I supposed to know? Probably. Why? Because it's a brilliant film. It's so funny and violent and the soundtrack kicks fucking ass. I never thought I'd say this, but can I go work now? So Tim Robbins is awesome as the new age hippie Ian. Full with the sitar music playing in the background when he's home, his Steven Seagal ponytail is just priceless. Rob finally connects with Charlie, and he realizes that his memories of Charlie were far better than reality. This is often the case for most people when remembering their exes. Usually it's the two extremes. Either you only remember the great times and romanticize them, or you only remember the horrible times and demonize them. However, before Rob meets with Charlie, Ian confronts him in the store, leaving Rob to fantasize about the various ways of dealing with him. Can I help you? Hello, Rob. Remember me? Ray. Ian. I thought maybe we should talk. No. Sort things out. What needs sorting out? Ten phone calls a night, hanging around outside my house. Stuck all that now. You were there this morning. Obviously, I know how special Laura is, and I know how much pain you must be going through right now. I would hate it if I lost her. Oh. Guess who? But I'd like to believe that if she decided that she didn't want to see me anymore, that I would respect those wishes. You know what I'm saying, G? Yeah. Okay. So shall we leave it at that? I've already left it. You pathetic rebound fuck! Now get your patchouli stink out of my store! Move it, lardass! Dumb motherfucker. So, um, shall we leave it at that then? No. Don't 
So after Ian, that night Rob goes to Charlie's dinner party. I can see now that I'm doomed to die a long, slow, suffocating death. And I try to figure out why. Of course there's envy. Why isn't my life like this? And sure, I want their money and clothes and jobs and opinions. And I'd like to have advice on jet lag, but that's not it. I mean, they're not bad people and I'm not a class warrior. It's something else. I never did. I never did. And I was very supportive. And then it dawns on me. It came down to me to tell them the truth. Charlie's awful. What was the truth? She doesn't listen to anyone. She says terrible, stupid things. And she apparently has no sense of humor at all. And talks shit all night long. Maybe she's been like this all along. Call me tomorrow, okay? Have, call me. Promise to call me. Bye. <sighs> How did I manage to edit all this out? How had I made this girl the answer to all the world's problems? Hey, Charlie. Hey, Rob. Hi. <sighs> so, Charlie, why'd you dump me for Marco? I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! Fuck! 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 What? You are. You are going through one of those what-does-it-all-mean things. I can't believe you, Rob. Yes, I am. Very much indeed so. Oh, God. Come on, answer the question. <sighs> oh, come on, Charlie. Don't hold back. You can say whatever you like. Why'd you dump me for Marco? Marco just seemed to be a bit more glamorous, you know, more sure of himself. Less hard work, a little sunnier, sparkier. As vapid as Charlie is, Rob deserved the answer he got from her. Laura returns to Rob's apartment to discover Rob's top five list of dream jobs. Hi, Laura. Top five dream jobs. Hey, that's private. Number one, journalist for Rolling Stone magazine, 1976 to 1979. Get to meet The Clash, Chrissy Hines, Sex Pistols, David Byrne. Get tons of free records. Number two, producer, Atlantic Records, 1964 to 1971. Get to meet Aretha, Wilson Pickett, Solomon Burke, more, more free, free records. records, and a shitload of money. Yeah. Number three, any kind of musician. Besides classical rap. Settle for being one of the Memphis Horns or something, not sure. asking to be Jagger or Hendrix or Otis Redding. Uh-huh. Number four, film director. Any kind except German or silent. And number five, we have architect. Yeah. 
seven years training. I'm not sure I even want to be an architect. So you got a list here of five things you do if qualifications and time and history and salary were no object. Yeah. One of them you don't really want to do anyway. Well, I did put it number five. Wouldn't you rather own your own record store than be an architect? Yeah, I suppose. And you wouldn't want to be a 16th century explorer or the king of France or... God, no. All right, there you go then. Dream job number five, record store owner. Top five things I miss about Laura. One, sense of humor. Very dry, but it can also be warm and forgiving. And she's got one of the best all-time laughs in the history of all-time laughs. She laughs with her entire body. Two, she's got character. Or at least she had character before the Ian nightmare. She's loyal and honest. And she doesn't even take it out on people when she's having a bad day. That's character. Three. I miss her smell and the way she tastes. It's a mystery of human chemistry, and I don't understand it. Some people, as far as your senses are concerned, just feel like home. I really dig how she walks around. It's like she doesn't care how she looks or what she projects, and it's not that she doesn't care, it's just she's not affected, I guess. And that gives her grace. And five, she does this thing in bed when she can't get to sleep. She kind of half moans and then rubs her feet together an equal number of times. It just kills me. Believe me, I mean, I could do a top five things about it that drive me crazy, but it's just your garden variety, women, you know, schizo stuff. And that's the kind of thing that got me here. So the punks that tried to steal from the store earlier in the film actually put together a decent demo tape, which Rob and the crew dig. In the scene I'm about to play, Jack Black is hilariously wearing a Yanni t-shirt. What is this? It's Vincent Justin. Who's Vincent Justin? It's those little skate fuckers. No way. Way. It's really... It's really fucking good. Hey, do you guys know Vincent Justin, the guys who come to my store? Yeah, right over there, man. Thanks. Hey! Your tape. It's good. I know. We made it. Uh, thank you. I mean, it's rough, but unbelievably, it shows promise. I'll put out your record. Any profits we split down the middle after I recoup expenses, okay? Recoup expenses, man. You're gonna recoup a big fat Mercedes is what you're gonna do. We're not there yet, Justin. I'm Vince. Whatever. What's the name of your band? Uh, the Kinky Wizards. Nice. What's the name of your label? Top five records. What was that? You just told them you're gonna put out a record with them? Yeah, so what? You said yourself those guys were good. What did you get so hot about? Well, it just seems that you think it would be wiser to start a record label by putting out a record with business crippling Nazi youth shoplifters than with someone you know and your bitter jealous heart is a musical visionary. That's yeah, what all. do your songs sound like? Sex Pistols, Nirvana, Papa Abrams and the Smurfs? You know what? You wouldn't be familiar with our immediate influences. Try me. They're mostly German. Kraftwerk, Falco, Hasselhoff. Hey. <laughs> 
So then Laura calls Rob to tell him that her dad just died. Of course, Barry then has to create a top five list of death songs. <laughs> hey, top five songs about death. A Laura's dad tribute list. Okay? Okay. Leader of the pack. The guy fucking beefs it on his motorcycle and dies, right? Dead Man's Curve, Jan and Dean. Do you know that right after they recorded that song, Jan himself um, crashed his... It was Dean, you fucking idiot. It was Jan. It was a long time after this. Okay, whatever. Tell Laura I love her. That would bring the house down. Laura's mom could sing it. You know what I'd want? Huh? One Step Beyond by Madness. Oh. No, 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 no. When are you going home? In a minute, when I get it together. And uh, you can't always get what you want. No, immediate disqualification because of its involvement with the big chill. Oh, God, you're right. Um, Mom wants you to come to the funeral. Oh, me? Yeah, because my dad really liked you and... Mom never told him we'd split because he wasn't up to it. Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, Gordon Lightfoot. Bastard, that's so good, that should have been mine. Do you, um, do you want me there? I don't care, as long as you don't expect me to hold your hand. Is Ray going? No. The night Laura's daddy died. Shana na 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 na. Brother, what a night it really was. Mother, what a night it really and Gina's tough. Glory be. Brother, what a night it really was. Brother, what a night and Gina's tough. So, will Laura and Rob get back together? That's up to you to watch the film. However, I would be remiss if I didn't play Barry's musical debut at the club, Sonic Death Monkey. I'll give you 10% of the door if you don't play. You know, we're getting that already. 20%. No, we need the gig. 110%, that's my final offer. That's how much it means to me not to hear you play. We're not as bad as you think, Rob. You couldn't possibly be, Barry. Look, there are gonna be people from Laura's work there. People with dogs and babies and Tina Turner albums. How are you gonna cope with them? We're called SDM, Sonic Death Monkey. Sonic Death Monkey. What do you think, Dick likes it? You like that, Dick? Yeah. Barry, you're over 30 years old. You owe it to yourself, to your friends, to your parents, not to play in a band called Sonic Death Monkey. I owe it to myself to go right to the edge, Rob. And this band does exactly that. Over the edge, in fact. Well, you'll be going right over the fucking edge if you come anywhere near me on Friday night. That's what we want! Reaction! Hey, this was Laura's idea, not mine, buddy. And if Laura's bourgeois lawyer friends can't take it, fuck them! Let them riot! We can take it! We're fucking Sonic Death Monkey! Coming out here tonight, that was just a little bit of I Sold My Mom's Wheelchair, the title track from the album of same name, the record we're having this record release party for. The two burgeoning criminals behind this opus are standing by the bar. They're underage and we'll lose our liquor license. But we'll get to them in a moment. First, I have to introduce a band, so please don't leave until after they finish and we play the record. Right now it's my great, great pleasure to introduce Sonic Death Monkey. 
played the whole album first. These people no, are going to no, burn no, the no, place down. Rob, thank you for the enthusiastic intro, but we're no longer called Sonic Death Monkey. Uh, we're on the verge of being called uh, Kathleen Turner Overdrive. However, this evening we will be Barry Jive and the Uptown Five. kick it off with a killer to grab attention. Then you gotta take it up a notch, but you don't wanna blow your wad. So then you gotta cool it off a notch. There are a lot of rules. So for me, this movie only gets better with age. Cusack has a knack for making dark comedies and never making the same movie twice. Plus, as it seems with most of his films, the music selection is excellent. I have no idea if this is just a coincidence, but it seems to happen with all of his movies. At the last scene, you see Rob wearing an Alligator Records t-shirt. Now, Alligator Records was a very important blues music label that was part of my musical upbringing. It seemed like every blues cassette that my dad bought in the 80s was from Alligator. Artists like Albert Collins and Lonnie Mack, James Cotton, Roy Buchanan, Coco Taylor, Hound Dog Taylor, Lonnie Brooks, Johnny Winter, Charlie Musselwhite, Katie Webster, and there's countless others that were releasing albums from Alligator Records. All right, there's some great deleted scenes, and I'll describe them, and then I'll, I'll try to play them for you. So the first one is called Foreplay, Rob talking to the camera on a train, and it's a funny scene about how when you're young, it's boys that can't get enough foreplay without trying to get the real thing immediately. But when they grow up, women want to keep that young foreplay going, but now men want to hurry up and get to the action. As Rob puts it, the perfect couple is the middle-aged Cosmo magazine woman and the 14-year-old boy. <laughs> Number two is the thieves. Vince and Justin, the skateboard twins, come to the store and the guys are ready for them, following them around and ultimately blocking the door. Seeing that they've met their match, Vince and Justin actually attempt to buy a record by dumping out a few dollars and change from a cup that says, help me, I'm retarded. <laughs> Rob, Rob asks, didn't you steal that one already before saying six bucks? 
Funny scene, but it would have taken away from the scenes later in the movie with just Vince and Justin. Number three is top five worst things. Like it sounds, it doesn't add much to the film and it was worth cutting. Number four is my favorite outtake, records for sale. So a woman played by Beverly D'Angelo calls about selling her records. Rob shows up to her apartment to take a look. She's got an awesome collection in a very nice cabinet. She wants to sell one drawer, which includes all sorts of gems like a 45 original pressing of James Cotton's My Baby from Sun Records, Only the Lonely from Roy Orbison, God Save the Queen from the Sex Pistols, and Rob is just incredibly impressed, and D'Angelo seems to either be nervous or basking in Rob's delight. The collection is probably worth tens of thousands of dollars, and Rob knows this and says he can't afford it. D'Angelo says he can have them all for 50 bucks. You can sort of guess why someone would want to sell a collection this good for so cheap. This is an awesome scene, and knowing that D'Angelo is a singer in real life makes this even better, and I really wish it had stayed in the film. You called about the records? Right. It's the best collection I've ever seen. I wouldn't doubt it. You know, I can only afford to buy just a few of these. Give me 50 bucks and they're all yours. Yeah, right. These are worth at least I, I know, know what 15, they're worth. 20. Give me 50 and get them out of here. But you must have. I must have nothing. They're my husband's. And you're not getting along with him too well at the moment, huh? My husband is in Jamaica with a 19-year-old, a friend of my daughter's. And he had the fucking nerve to call me and ask me to sell his singles collection and send him a check for whatever I got, minus a 10% commission. Mm -hmm. Which reminds me, would you be sure to give me a five? Because mm -hmm. I want to frame it. Put it on the wall. Can I pay you for those properly? I mean, you don't even have to tell him how much you got. Send him 45 bucks and blow the rest. Give it to charity or something. That's not part of the deal. I want to be poisonous, but fair. I couldn't do that to another collector. Suit yourself. There are plenty of others who will. Look, let's compromise. What about 1,500? They're worth at least 10 times that. 60 bucks. 1300 
75. 1100. That's my lowest offer. And I won't take a penny over 90. <laughs> More than that, and he could afford to come back, and that's the last thing I want. I'm sorry, but I think you're going to have to talk to somebody else. <laughs> Fine. Can I just buy that one Otis Redding off of you, please? Ten cents. Let me give you ten bucks. It's worth twenty times that. Okay, because you've got principles and because you took the trouble to come up here, but that's it. And don't think that you're going to buy these one by one. Okay. Did you uh, see the Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen, in there? Yeah, I saw that one. It's free. Number five is all-time hot 100 with Marie and Rob at her apartment. What makes the scene great is the cameo from Harold Ramis about as Rob's father in a quasi-flashback. It's another funny scene that should have made the film. You know, Rob, I didn't even think you liked me. You always act so odd when I was around. Is that why you wanted to hang out? Yeah. The guy acts weird around me. I like to know what's going on. You? Do you know now? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you? No. So, I'd like it if you'd stay the night. Why is failure the first thing I think about? Sometimes I wish I were my old man. He never had to worry about making mom's hot all-time top 100 because he was first and last on the list. Pops, did you ever have to worry about the female orgasm? Do you in fact even know what a female orgasm is? I mean, do you envy me and my sex life? Or does it all seem like just hard work to you? Listen, son, the good fuck wasn't even invented when I was your age. First time I saw a woman naked, I was already married to her. Stop whining about it. Just get on with it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Bob. The next one is called Laura and Liz at Laura's law office. They're chatting about her relationship with Rob and Ian. Rob is waiting in the lobby of her office, and then she walks by him without even noticing. Next one is top five dream jobs. Rob actually writes out his top five dream jobs. This later was read and played out towards the end of the film with Laura. I sort of understand why it was cut as it might have spoiled the surprise of when Laura read it. But it was funny to have Barry and Dick involved in the list. The next one is Sonic Death Monkey. Rob begs Barry not to play the record release party, and part of the dialogue was actually used in the film. It's a great deleted scene, and it's fun to watch, but it is essentially an alternate take. Next is the interview. Instead of the phone interview with the music reporter, the interview is done in the record store and is more meaty than what actually made the film. And then the top five list discussion carries over to a discussion with Laura, and actually this is one of the few times where the deleted scene is better than what actually made the film. So according to Cusack, the co-writer DV is the closest to the record-obsessed characters in the film. He actually owns over a thousand vinyl records and thousands of CDs and tapes. John Cusack originally wanted Bob Dylan for the Bruce Springsteen cameo part, but Dylan was unavailable. Cusack knew Bruce Springsteen socially and simply called him up to pitch him the movie cameo idea. Springsteen asked to read the script and then agreed to do the film. 
The music was mostly picked by the screenwriters, while the director Freers steer cleared from picking songs as he felt he was too old and out of touch compared to the younger guys. So this is hilarious, and I didn't actually notice this until doing research for the film. The Marie DeSalle CD that Rob pops into his CD player has the following tracks listed on it. So track one is Baby I Love Your Way, which she sang. Number two is called Eartha Kit times two. <laughs> Sometimes it's called uh, Patsy Cline times two in some versions. Number three, Ghostbusters. <laughs> Four, Beat It. Five, Baby Got Back. Six, 911 is a joke. Seven, I Will Survive. Eight is Mbop. Nine, My Heart Will Go On. Ten, You Can't Have It. And 11, The Time Is Now. And actually, Artie Lang auditioned for the role of Barry. And as, as much as I love Artie, that's owned for Jack Black. All right, we got a great guest, first-timer, but he's got his own podcast, too. You might know him. It's Baco from Cobras and Fire. We have a great discussion. He absolutely loves High Fidelity and John Cusack, so I think you'll really enjoy this one. We also talk about music for a little bit because, of course, it's High Fidelity. And I will be back next week to talk about another film from my DVD collection. Okay, so we have a very special first-time guest to Damn Good Movie Memories, and we always love that. It's Jason Baca, but he's best known as Baco from the awesome Cobras in Fire podcast. And because of the annual Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville, it gave Baco and I a chance to finally chat a bit and connect. And uh, one of the things that I discovered is his love of movies, especially John Cusack movies <laughs> and especially High Fidelity. And so it's great to have him on, and I have to assume that you have some sort of top five list to honor this movie you know i i was wondering if we we're gonna go there you know by the end of it i definitely will I, was, I wasn't sure which way i wanted to go did you put one together i did not i was gonna do i was gonna ask you top five reasons why you decided to appear on the podcast but i'm not gonna mm. do that for you because i'm afraid of, of what you might say or top five reasons why we didn't have loose cannon on you know things like that you know that might be the way to go exactly uh, I, i'll, I'll I'll have five. That's going to be my top five. I'll have it ready by the end of the show here. Perfect. Uh, did you do, I know when we were chatting, did you get a chance to check out Identity at all? I did, and it is great. It is totally nice. um, got that mystery element, the, kind of the, the gotcha surprise there. Uh, yeah. Towards the end, I was like, what the fuck's going to happen to this guy? And uh, yeah, that's it, it, the ending. At first, I was like, I don't know if I like this. And then I was okay, I like it. <laughs> so, all right, right on. It, it bears uh, repeat viewing, I think. Oh, yeah, I've, I've seen it at least a half a dozen times. Uh, yeah. Far less than I've seen the movie we're going to talk about today. But So let's just get right into it. Is this something, uh, High Fidelity, that you saw uh, immediately when it came out, or was it something that eventually was like a home rental for you? I saw it in the movie theater. Uh, it was more of a date night thing with my girlfriend at the time, and it, it I believe it was my pick. I was uh, somewhat interested. I'm, I'm a, a John Cusack fan. I'm not a see-everything-in-the-theater fan, though, so... I, I wasn't sure where to, to, you know, whether or not I would have gone if were it not like been something like that. But, yeah, I'm glad I did. It's uh, it has turned into one of my you know, I mean, I, I don't have an actual top five favorite movies list, but I got to believe this is on a favorite list of mine in the back of my head somewhere. So were you way or, or I don't know if you are now, but are you into vinyl and are you a, a collector of vinyl like uh, Cusack's character? Yeah, no, I mean, not not to the level that he is, but no, I've had vinyl. I mean, I, I mean, I, I started listening to Kiss when I was seven, mm -hmm. uh, and I've been basically buying vinyl for that. I mean, I collected all their vinyl for my entire life, and then a handful of other stuff. I mean, I probably have about 300 records now, and I th probably when this movie came out, I had about half that. 
Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, vinyl was kind of, it was neat to kind of see this because at this point, you know, CDs were in full bloom. This mm-hmm. was like, you know, I think it's, what was it? 97? No. When was this? 2000, 2000. So yeah, we're still in the, the height of CDs at this point and downloading hadn't quite hit its, you know, it's, it's mark yet. So yeah. So it was kind of neat to see that, that old school vibe of this. Agreed. Yeah. And so before, obviously, this, you had seen Gross Point Blank. You had seen, of course, all of his 80s stuff. What of that stood out the most for you? Well, I, uh, I like uh, One Crazy Summers a lot. A lot of fun. Um, oh, the the one with the $2. Why, uh, Better Off Dead. That one's yes. amazing. Um, uh, Gross Point Blank didn't do it to me for much. But I loved uh, the one with, uh, oh, I'm doing terrible on names here. Uh <laughs> The, the one where he's a grifter. Was it called grifters? <laughs> you don't need me. <laughs> you know that one where God they they yeah. say they say anything. Oh yes. That What's one. that one where there's a hot tub and a time machine? That's I right. really like that one a lot. But uh, <laughs> oh, man. So, anyway, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I I probably can't rattle them off as off the top of my head as as well as some of them. But yeah. I, I've always enjoyed him much more than I enjoy his sister's acting. Oh, really? You don't like Joan Cusack? I wouldn't say I don't like her, but she's definitely uh, piggybacked a lot of movie roles off of his career. Oh, that's true. Uh, but yeah. I, I still think she's one of the best character actresses in there. I, I've always enjoyed her work. And uh, she's never the star, but she's always kind of in key roles. Um, you know, like in Working Girl, she there was one that he wasn't in. Uh, she's great as mm. the friend, but she's always the friend, or she's always the sidekick. She's never the even in uh, Sixteen Candles, she's the one with the neck brace. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, she was in that the Robin Williams movie too. Toy. Yes. Or toys. toys. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like toy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, this movie. I mean, speaking. Uh, you have your main cast. You have John Cusack. You got. You know, obviously, uh, Jack Black, who I think steals the show a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. But the side characters that they, um, you know, those those great dick. Uh, oh, man. So great. And uh, but then to have like Tim Robbins in it and Lily Taylor, those were great. Catherine Zeta Jones. Uh, yeah. She uh, she she uh, turns the needle for me in the right way. But uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but but she actually is remarkably. Uh, she does a great job portraying the character she's given in this movie. I love when he's talking about her, at, like when they were dating, and how like she was the most remarkably interesting person, right? Yes. And then like uh, when, when he goes back to like kind of go through his top five, you know, worst breakups, and 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 he, he gets to her, and he's like, he just found out that she's not interesting at all. She doesn't listen to anybody. She says horrible shit. Oh yeah. And she apparently has no sense of humor. You know, it's like, and it was like it dawned on me. It's like, oh my god, I've actually known that character as far as like that kind of untouchable hot girl that like will kind of uh you know be, be be a lot of fun to be around until you actually get to know her and you realize that she has zero personality she just has looks oh yeah she's completely vapid and, and but when yes. you're young when you're young hot is everything and if you're not yep. as conf- you're not as confident it'll uh it'll throw you off until you you meet you know more people and you start dating more and then all of a sudden that dawns on you you know that she's not that great and the person that you're with is probably w- way better yeah yeah no doubt yeah no, but i in fairness like i said because she is like an amazingly uh attractive woman i think she's done a, a lot of really interesting work as as an actress and and taking breaks you know, to not like oversaturate, you know, she hasn't just constantly done roles is all I'm getting at. And a lot of times, I mean, you almost think that she is that that character, like she's just too good looking to really to have any depth to her. But uh, I thought she nailed the, the, this role. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's been in some great movies, whether you like Traffic or uh, even Chicago. Oh, yeah. if, if you're into Chicago, she's great in Chicago as, as well. Plus a little side boob in this movie. So. There you go. <laughs> That's true. She's got the, the, the T-shirt on. <laughs> well, and then the other great kind of, I don't know if she was really acting, but Lisa Bonet playing the singer. Uh, yeah, uh, she she did it for me younger in her life. Uh, she she uh, looked okay in this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's definitely a grown up. This, I think <laughs> definitely post. Uh, I, I, maybe she was with Lenny Kravitz at this point. I don't know. God, I don't know. Yeah. So did you ever see any of the outtakes of this movie? I'm sure I did because they're on the DVD, I think. Uh, right. Oh, shoot. There is one brilliant one. I don't have it in front of me, though. Um, hey, carry on. I'm sorry. But, I'm, I'm going to brain fart this. <laughs> no, and this, and hopefully this is the one you remember because this one should have been in the movie with Beverly uh, D'Angelo. Yes. The record collection. Yes. Thing. And, and he felt like he was raping her. Like, yes. like I, I can't take this. You know, like he, he ended up not buying the stuff. Yeah, why don't you explain the scene? Because Beverly oh, it, was like trying, yeah. trying to like basically dump all of her husband's records off. Right. So he was out gallivanting around with uh, his secretary, I believe, uh, overseas. And so he had asked her to sell some of the collection. So to <laughs> get back, and you can kind of see where it's to going. Pay like, for all that. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, he, she had, he had all of these rare like first pressings, like a forty-five of like an early Sex Pistols single, and and all these crazy early uh, blues things. And he's like, I can't take this. I mean, it's probably worth, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars. And she, <laughs> so he's like, I can give you a thousand dollars. It's like, I won't take more than fifty. You know, like fifty dollars. And so it's, <laughs> it's kind of like he keeps going a little bit down, and she goes just inches up. And and so at the end of the day, he basically doesn't do a deal with her, which. I think they might have cut this out because I, I don't know about you, but his character's tough to like. He's not that great of a guy in many ways. And this actually made him seem a little bit better than what he was actually portrayed in the film. That's an interesting theory. I, my, my thought was it was just a time thing and it, it really didn't tie into anything else that was happening in the movie. <laughs> it, it would be its own standalone thing. But uh, I actually think he's a very likable character, but he's not sympathetic. One of the things I really like about this movie and one one of the things that resonated with me was that it is a rom-com for men for the oh, first yeah. time. It is literally like written for men from a men's perspective. The scene where he's like out in the rain by the phone booth and he's like, you know, fuck you, you bitch. Let's get back together. <laughs> Just that that whole like um, self-fulfilling like the the. the the, ox the oxymoronic attitude of that, like, you just called her a fucking bitch and then followed that up with, let's get back together. Right. And and you, you, you're having a hard time understanding why you're, you're, you're single. And then actually, I wrote a lyric uh, for a song uh, from a band, Jesus Christ, called I Want You Back. And that whole song was basically uh, inspired by that one moment in this movie. <laughs> and the one line is like uh, something like "fuck you, bitch, come on, give me another chance." I, I, but I, I totally was that 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 resonated with me so hard, like how how hilariously male that is to be like just unaware, un, have no self awareness in the moment of what you're doing to cause the relationship issue you're you're so desperately trying to correct. Yeah, and it, I think that's where it leads me to where when I was when I first saw this as, as when I was younger, I was you know right out of college, and so I I think I went with him more than I did as I got older. Cause then, you know, so I, it didn't even really dawn on me that he had cheated on his, on, on the girl, Laura <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like, yeah, maybe he's not as great as, as the hero is supposed to be in this movie, but that maybe that's what makes it great. Maybe that's what makes this movie stand out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. 
very human. I mean, it it's a very relatable character, at least for me, in the sense of not not just the collecting, but all just the uh, the idiosyncrasies and the the inability to to almost control yourself. Like like you talk about that scene they cut out. The idea that the reason he didn't buy those records is because he related to the collector. He yeah. had no connection to the fact that this guy was looking to make this get this money just so he could pay his way back from cheating on his wife. That's right. That's right. And, and look, I think 99% of the people would have taken up Beverly D'Angelo on that offer. So like, mm. yeah, here's 50 bucks. I'm taking this. Like, yeah, the, screw that guy. But uh, but he didn't. For whatever reason, he, he didn't do it in, in that movie. The other great outtake is with Harold Ramis uh, playing his dad. Yes. And uh, basically talking about, uh, you know, getting laid and everything like that. And so that was, that, <laughs> that, that's a good if, if you have the DVD, definitely check out the outtakes. I'm sure they're on uh, YouTube as well. And I'll probably put them in, in this episode. But th- that's all good stuff to check out. How do you feel about the main female? And I, I can barely pronounce her name. She's actually, I think, a, a sw- either Swedish or Danish act- actress. Uh, but she plays Laura and, and she's Danish. Um, how, how do you feel about her character? Uh, I actually like her a lot. I, I, it was um, it was some you you you, you kind of rooted for her. You understood where she was coming from, and and as a man, I, I, I kind of appreciate the idea that they were able to put her in that position. I love the actress who play, portrayed her too. I don't think I've seen her in anything else. No, but, she's but predominantly in, in Danish films. God, she 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 nailed her role in this. Um, she was very likable for the most part. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and much more, less, a much more sympathetic character than Rob. Oh yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, she, she, she actually seemed to understand him too. And, and you, as you're watching this, you go, that's all I want in a, in a partner. <laughs> right. <laughs> Someone who gets the core of who I am, you know? And she did. And, and she's also I mean, she was they really downplay this, too, but she's a lawyer. And so uh, if you look at if you want to look at the the class system there, it, it'd be mm. interesting that she's even interested in a guy that owns like a music store and he's just kind of content with what he does. But, she, you know, sure. there's something about him that she obviously digs and, and continues to find him uh, attractive in, in whatever way, because she keeps going back to him. I love um, how the, the, the that scene that I touched on where. Rob reconnects with Charlie to see why they broke up. Yeah. How he actually talks about like how he sees this drastic difference and, and he kind of envies the people, her friends in a certain way for, for their, their jobs and their money and stuff. But he's, he literally says, I'm not a class warrior. Uh, I like the fact that, that he can, ju- cause I, it's very believable. Like he's actually judging the situation on its actual merit. And that's kind of where you're coming from with describing Laura. It almost seems like they're symbiotic in that nature. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The other great cam, so we we should talk about Tim Robbins a little bit because he's great <laughs> as the kind of the hippy dippy, <laughs> you know, new age uh, hippie. Ian. Yeah. Oh. I so, hate Ian. Yeah, I hate Ian. And too. what was his other name? Because he go, he went by he went by something else too. Oh fuck! I don't. Oh, let's see if it's on here. It just says, oh, it's e- Ray. Ray. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, which one is he? Yeah. yeah it's like I hate Ian. Yeah, I hate him too. <laughs> yeah. Because he goes by Ray. Yeah. yeah. And then it, that's a great scene where um, uh, Rob is, is fantasizing about different ways of, of mopping the floor with him. <laughs> when uh, the, the Dick character pulls the air conditioner out of the wall. Yes. And on him, uh, uh, yeah, the line about, like, get your patchouli stink out of here. Yeah. Uh, 
And then let's, of course, talk about Jack Black and uh, and his co co-worker Dick. Well, this is kind of a breakout role for Jack, I think. At, at the time, he was this kind of put him on the map a bit. Yeah, definitely, because I hadn't really heard Tenacious D until after this, I don't think. Same here. But it, he has pretty much plays every single music. I mean, people don't understand music stores anymore because they're barely around. But that, this guy pretty much worked in every independent music store, that character. Yeah, yeah. I love the scene where they refuse to sell that record to the guy. Yes. <laughs> uh, we've actually used that audio on the show where and I, I cut it to make it sound like it's talking specifically about uh, myself and Loose Cannon. Um, but, you know, like you guys are snobs. You just think you're better than people or something. Yeah. Well, it's true. And, and I always I always feel like I'm being judged when I go back and I, you know, put my my order or whatever I purchased. <laughs> and people and until I feel good when, you know, that happens. How often do you revisit this movie? And uh, also, we got to touch upon the music. How do you feel about the music in this film? Uh, the fir- to the first question, uh, you know, not as much as I used to. It's probably been a few years, but when I first got it, it was probably about once a month when I when I when I bought oh, the wow. DVD. Um, yeah, at least every few years. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I don't run into it on cable. I don't know about you. I, I've just never seen it that way, but. Uh, so there's just certain times where I just, I'm in the mood and it's got to go in. So I love the soundtrack and I'm typically more of a hard rock metal guy, but this is a brilliant mix of a lot of stuff that I've never heard prior to this movie. Cause it's just not my, my, uh, my core, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's not that I don't branch out of hard rock and metal, but this is definitely, these are probably not as deep tracks for some people, but for me they are. And, and I, and I think it, when you listen to it, in the movie and the way they're placed, I, there is clearly a lot of emphasis put on uh, picking the right songs for the right scene, putting it in the, in the right moment. And then, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm literally holding the, the, the CD in front of me. I, I, I've listened to this quite a bit. My, my case is beat up. It would spend a lot of time in my car. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess uh, Cusack and his co-writers who are his, his buddies as well. I mean, they really, uh, they're the ones that picked the music. The director had nothing to do with it. He was a li- the director's a little bit older. Really? Yeah, and he's like, I just let them pretty much go with it. And it totally works. I, it seems like no matter what movie Cusack's in, and maybe it's just he he works with great people, whether it be Say Anything or um, even Gross, Gross Point Blank. Or, uh, yeah, Gross Point Blank had a, had a great soundtrack, too. It always seems like there's great music in his movies. Even 2012? Uh, maybe not that one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really recognize the the movie or the uh, the movie that you told me to see, uh, Identity. I didn't really hear music, but I, that was more like your kind of like a Law and Order type tones. Yeah, wasn't like those songs, but uh, but this is something a vinyl junkie I think would would enjoy. I mean, those are those deep cuts that come from. Uh, Has this been on. released on vinyl? I guess I never looked into that. I it may have. I mean, it would make sense. I would think, you know, that they would re-release it or something. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, a, a couple standout tracks for me. I'll just mention real quick. I really like uh, "You're Gonna Miss Me" uh, by the Thirteen Floor Elevators. Yeah, the opener. Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, John Wesley's "The Wrong." I'm, I'm wrong about everything. Is brilliant. <laughs> uh, um, just running down the list here. Uh, the beta band song is all right. The, the one they play in the record store. I yeah. love that cold-blooded old time song by those. I've never actually heard of the band Smog. And honestly, uh, I've never heard that Stevie Wonder song. I believe I'll fall in love. And yeah. I believe when I fall in love this time, it'll be forever. This is the first time I heard it was when I, you know, from this movie. And that is an amazing song. Yeah, and that what a great scene with <laughs> involving Stevie Wonder too. I mean, I think yeah. most people remember that scene more than anything. Yeah, no doubt. And and then we're, we're when you first saw the movie, were you surprised about how the Jack Black scene turned out? What do you mean? 
at the end. Um, yeah. no, not that much. Okay. I, I mean, I look, you know, what it, it was. I think it may have been a little shocked to find out it was actually him at the end. Right. Uh, like, but I didn't know when I watched the movie. The other great song that I like is my favorite Bruce Springsteen song. They do play the river in it, so that's right. That's, that's great. I don't think it's on the soundtrack, but it's in the film. Uh, the other interesting part about this movie is it really it's based on a book, but it, it was supposed to take place in London, and they totally changed that and they they made it chicago and it worked great because they they found parts of chicago that uh according to the writer kind of look similar to what it would be like in london in many ways oh okay yeah, yeah it works great in chicago it does yeah. it does and of course this was think... a pet project of cusack if i recall right right like he read the book and then wanted to turn it into a movie yeah exactly okay yeah yeah so let's get into your podcast a little bit. How, how did it start? And uh, you've been going for a long time now. Uh, what are some of the episodes that people should check out? And then you have to give me your top five uh, reasons why Loose Cannon wasn't invited to this. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, our, the show is called Cobras and Fire. Uh, you can find us at cobrasandfire.com. Um, if you Google us, make sure you throw the word in podcast because there is a uh, monster magnet record called Cobras and Fire oh, that's that might right. pop up ahead of it. Uh, you didn't get from that, did you? No, we did not. Uh, okay. Actually, uh, Luce named the show. I, I came in on episode three. Okay. Uh, he re- uh, he started it by himself and went a little stir-crazy. Him and I were both writers for Decibel Geek, and he actually reached out to me um, looking for someone to do a podcast with. And, and he saw something similar in, in, in our personal sensibilities in some of my writings you know, almost comedic and snarky, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we're a comedy rock podcast. We, we we basically talk a lot about what's going on in, in rock and metal in the news. And then we just, you know, it usually just spins off into absurd hypotheticals that, that we kind of break down into all sorts of stuff. We also do a lot of interview shows. Like we've yeah. interviewed uh, uh, Jeff Tate, uh, Eddie Trunk, or there are a couple of recent ones. I had Jakey e. Lee on a while back. Uh, John K.K. Downing, yeah, uh, yep. John Karabi. Uh, but, um, and, and, you know, we, we do that stuff the, the interviews, uh, they're, they're typically kind of like bonus episodes, that kind of thing. Our, mm-hmm. our, our, our core is just what we, uh, where we, we just kind of break down like four or five news, news items. We'll also occasionally do like, like, like a, a record breakdown. We'll, we'll just do kind of like, like what we're doing here today. We'll, but we'll take like a, a kiss album or something like that. We do have, you know, I think 20 or 30 kiss related episodes so if you're a kiss fan out there we we have some of that product for you but typically my my experience is that kiss fans don't like what we do but... oh really oh because you don't just slobber all over it or what pretty much yeah okay. it's, it's 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 more of a objective look at least i like to think so but um and then yeah the top five reasons loose can let's see if i can do this off the top of my head <laughs> one uh we we tried to schedule him and he said he would do it and then at the last minute couldn't right uh number two would be that uh his kid walked into the room while he started and he had to get up and take care of that number three would be the wi-fi was out in his house number four was that he got locked into a witch witch bathroom and number five would be (laughs) that his car was broke down and he's on the phone with uh mercedes trying to figure out the warranty information how's that that was great off the top of your head that's terrific i couldn't ask for anything better uh did you guys know how long did it take for you guys to actually meet in person about yeah we met in person for the first time about a year i I, he lives in denver and my oldest friend he's been 
basically my brother. He was the best man at my wedding, best man at his wedding, that kind of deal. We, we, we still talk and text more than people know. Uh, he lives in Denver, too. And I went out to visit him, and this was about a year into us doing the show. Mm-hmm. And so while I was out there, I, I, I made, of course, made plans to hang out with Luce. And, and we went to his house and recorded our first face-to-face uh, episode. And that following summer was Rock and Pod. Uh, the first one, and mm-hmm. then so yeah, we you know we've, we we uh, we think we've had five face to face meetings over the years. Uh, it's it's weird, uh, you know, being this old and making new friends. Right. He literally literally has become, and not just him. Like I can talk about people like Josh Toomey or you yeah. know Ian Wadley with Rock and Metal Pond Combat, and mm-hmm. I, and let's not forget Chris and Aaron at at Decibel Geek. Absolutely. These are these are a lot of people that that have become very important people and 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 people that I uh, consider fairly close friends in my life. And it's all because of podcasting, you know. Um, and so, yeah, that, 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 that's how it started. And that's how uh, how we got connected, our, our, our hetero life mate status <laughs> through the Internet. Uh, what it, He was just on the Kiss Room and he called. Uh, he basically said Decibel Geek was our dating app. And someone made a grinder joke that I thought was funny. <laughs> well, of course. Well, and that's the reason why if anyone's on the fence, even if you're not a podcaster, you got to go to the Rock and Pod Expo. Oh, amazing. Get everyone in the same place. Everyone's there for the right reasons, and it's just a lot of fun, you know? I had so much fun catching up with you this year. This is the first time we actually spent some time right. together. Uh, my God, uh, you were just a, just a ball of positivity, and you, you get a beaming smile. You know, you're, you're a semi-attractive man. You're, you, <laughs> you, you check a lot of boxes for me is all I'm getting at. I'll, I'll appreciate that, and, and, and <laughs> you'll get even more next year. I hope so. So Yeah, right, yeah no doubt. Yeah, I'll, I'll wear a tube top and everything. <laughs> <laughs> you never you know man it's it's so fucking hot there though i'm not, I'm a california boy and so yeah we're not used to humid you know humidity and it is right. august humidity in nashville is very interesting yeah it's it's actually very similar to where i'm at in uh in the twin cities here in minnesota so okay. it, it was like almost the exact same uh climate for the that time of year anyway so I also have to, I have to plug, because I am friends with the Rock and Metal Combat podcast, uh, definitely check out the latest, uh, it's not the latest, but it's one of the last few episodes with, you're on it, Chris Sinzak's on it, hmm. you guys are talking about Aerosmith's Rocks, and a little bit of a spoiler alert, almost everyone likes this album, you don't like it as much. Yeah, I'm like the one voice of reason, Like they, they're like, every song's like 10, 10, 10, and then <laughs> I get shit because it's like, eh, it might be a 7. There's your tease. I mean, we don't actually rank the songs, but yeah, no. it's, it's like this one song didn't do it for me. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it, did you from that episode? Because this happens a lot, especially after listening to them. You go back and listen to bands a little bit more, maybe subjectively. Have, did that? Do you appreciate Aerosmith anymore? At least the '70s, or were you like, ah, eh, it's it, it is what it is. I'm not overall, gonna... it, yeah, they they are exactly what I what I thought they were prior to that. Um, but it was really fun to go back and listen to that record in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm a huge fan of Toys in the Attic, as I mentioned on the show. Yeah. And I've always liked Rocks, but now I'm like, you know, that that actually really is a really good record, too. Uh, and not that I ever felt differently, but I almost feel like more, uh, I don't know, connected to it in some way. Did you uh, did you ever listen to Get Your Wings? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've heard them all. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, Get get Your Wings of the 70s stuff is my favorite. It, but, I mean, hell, that trifecta is, I think, very, very good. I'm a huge Aerosmith fan, so I was... What about uh, Night and... Oh, so this is personal for you. Okay, yeah, no. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm not a hater at all. And, and one thing that we didn't get into on that show that, I, that since we brought it up, I'll yeah. tell you right off the bat. Uh, Aerosmith, for me, was difficult to get into for a long time. I think because of my uh, immaturity and naivete kind of attached to being a child growing up listening to kiss i had to get past that a little bit it was aerosmith and acdc acdc now acdc i love the death aerosmith 
I will hands down say they're better musicians. They're a better band. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kiss is more my band. But Aeros, I had no disrespect to Aerosmith. It just never really resonated with me in the way it did with a lot of people. But it, but they have look. If I went to an Aerosmith concert. I wouldn't have a hard time knowing all the songs and enjoying myself. It's nothing like that. but Sure. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people, they get shit probably because of the later era, too. I mean, if they had stopped after the 70s, I think they're not going to be up there with Zeppelin, but they're going to be close. I mean, cause you, I, I can't imagine. Point. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, if Zeppelin had kept going, I'm not sure they would still get the love they get. I think we're going to do, a, based on that, my appearance on there, we're going to do a, uh, Devin, our loose Cannon wants to do a, uh, um, an episode on Pump because he likes that record and I think yeah. it's complete garbage. So that, <laughs> that, that's something coming up that'll be a little fun fodder. I think Permanent Vacation might be it's at least in my top three or four records by Aerosmith and that's oh, kind wow. of the later year. Um, yeah, I'm not fans, the guy yeah. to talk to on that stuff though. You know what I mean? It's like you know, I, I'm just not a big Aerosmith guy. So I don't know that that means a whole lot when I say that. Well, that's interesting because a lot of people enjoy Pump and and they usually uh, don't like uh, Permanent Vacation as much. At least the 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 fans of that but that's good i mean like I, I never get upset when people have different opinions it is funny oh, how people lose their minds especially with a kid <laughs> it's like and I, again i am a kiss fan but yeah there's a lot of stuff i just i don't care about and i'm not going to lose my mind if, if you don't like you know crazy nights or something like that <laughs> so yeah, I, i've come to acknowledge my like lack of objectivity with them to a certain extent i i can talk about it more openly than i probably could have 10 years ago but honestly a lot of it's just nostalgia at this point for me Okay, so we're going to go with the top five route. What are your top five Kiss albums? Well, this should be a little easier. Uh, Hotter Than Hell, number one. Rock and Roll Over, number two. Then at this, at that point, you, it kind of becomes a mishmash of where things can slide around a little bit. Lick It Up, probably number three. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, i got to go back. i probably say the first album, number four, and uh, probably Dress to Kill, five at this point. Okay. Uh, if, if someone, if I was to recommend, recommend one record to own it would be kiss alive yeah absolutely that was that was my first two so <laughs> you can't go wrong with that so you're you're more into kiss alive than alive two yeah now at uh, kiss alive two is the first record i heard mm. i don't think it really holds up as well alive is a sonic masterpiece yeah uh it it, it sounds it's 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 right up there with frampton comes alive is like one of those live records mm-hmm. even though oh. we both stopped that live but yeah <laughs> I, i'm just saying it just it it's an enjoyable musical listen where I think the crowd was pumped really heavy on a live too. And then it just doesn't sound as good anymore. That, and they had to fill a whole other side because they didn't yeah. have to repeat. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you got that. <laughs> I like the studio side though. Yeah. Um, and then my all time favorite band is ACDC. Since you mentioned them, what are your oh, top give me your top five? Uh, okay. So let's see, it's gotta be back in black. And I know that's not sexy, but uh, it is, my all-time favorite album of any band. Um, it just, that's, I think it's perfect sonically. I'm not sick of it. Even after all of this, yeah. I, I can't listen to certain songs. There are certain songs, regardless of ACDC, um, like if I hear Paranoid on the radio, I turn it off. But if I listen to the album, I can still listen to those songs. I don't know if, if you're like that too, where um, I'm not burnt out on songs in album format. I'm burnt out on singles. So I don't know. Absolutely, if, yeah. yeah. So Back of Black's number one, Highway to Hell's number two, Three, I would have to go with Powerage, and then after that, it gets a little little dicier. It may be easy just to go Bond. Uh, I would probably say four is Flick of the Switch, which is kind Ooh. of a, a dark horse. A lot of people, yeah. I would say that's uh, that's that's probably my fourth, and then fifth, 
Ooh. You know what? We'll we'll make Flick of the Switch fifth, and we'll make Let There Be Rock four. So nice. Yeah. I agree yeah. with you on Back in Black. Albums like that, like even like Appetite for Destruction oh, yeah. or or you know Nirvana's Nevermind, and I'm not a Nirvana or Nirvana fan, and I I don't even own that record. I get why they got so big, but Back in Black, the ones that I do like, like Back in Black, I really don't get sick of playing that entire record. No. I, I really don't cherry pick tunes off it like I would maybe some of their are are their back other albums, but uh, that record, yeah, I mean you're right. It's sonically, it's perfect. The songs are perfect. Everything, I mean, it's just it's so good. And Brian never sounded better. I mean, some of those notes he's hitting are just unreal, unreal. He could never match that. And actually, after Flick of the Switch, he he could never match it on album. Like, Fly on the Wall sounds like he's underwater. So I don't don't know what's going on with that one. (laughs) I like Fly on the Wall, but I know what you're saying there. Um, Let me ask you this. Maybe this isn't for the show, but just on the ACDC note. Sure. The Black Ice record. When that came, when when I first heard uh, that the 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 rock and roll train song, whatever, yeah, I was like, what the fuck happened? I mean, he can <laughs> sing again. He stopped smoking for the. Is that really? Yeah, absolutely true. Brendan, uh, I think it was Brendan O'Brien. I think he he produced it. Basically said, look, he, if you stop smoking, you're gonna have your voice for this, and he did. So I think when he's recording, I think he did the same thing for Rock or Bust. He quit okay. smoking for the months he's singing. And then he goes back to it, which I, I don't get. I don't get any singer that sing, that smokes, but um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, that's part of the reason. That's part of the reason he, got a, he had a stronger voice for that. Right on. So we'll see. There's rumors right now that they're, uh, they had recorded uh, during before Malcolm uh, started to go into you know the stages of dementia. They, yeah. Jim and Angus recorded a bunch of music, and okay. uh, supposedly they're going to take the best stuff they recorded, and they're going to actually have uh, Cliff Phil Rudd supposedly is back, and uh, Brian sing you know and play and perform over that. So we'll see what happens with that. They're so secretive, you never hear anything about ACDC. Yeah, they're kind of like Van Halen in that sense. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. So this is exactly what you get on Covers and Fire. So this is a nice little... A lot of tangents, yes. <laughs> it's awesome. But long story short, listen to Cover, Covers and Fire and check out High Fidelity. Can I... Uh, there was one scene in the movie I did want to share with you. That absolutely. We didn't get to. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So remember the, the part where he's going back and he's kind of working his way through the ex-girlfriends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets to the girl... That uh, he's like, so yeah, why did you dump me? And she's like, well, what, why did you want to sleep with this guy, but you didn't want to sleep with me? Right. And, and she's like the movie critic, I think. Um, and and she basically says, like, she was basically date raped. Like, she kind of allowed it, you know. But when it's all said and done, like, she just storms off and he just like, she's right. Yeah. I, I dumped her. <laughs> and he's like all happy. He just had a woman tell her that she was basically raped. And he's like, he's, it makes him feel better because during that story, she also mentioned that he actually broke up with her. Exactly. And, that, and that's <laughs> and that's where I was going with he's kind of a dick because when I was a kid, when I was growing up, I, that totally didn't phase me at all. But as I watched uh, it get recently, I'm like, shit. I mean, yeah, you're exactly. She just admitted what had happened, and he makes it about him. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's an amazingly perfectly, you know, male moment. Well, that's like his first girlfriend, which I guess took place in sixth grade, where she made out with a different guy a couple weeks later after they started making Kevin out. Kevin Bannister. Yeah, and then he calls <laughs> and uh, talks to her mom, and she's like, "Yeah, he ended up. She ended up marrying him, and so that made him feel great." Because, yeah, he was like, "That's a, I don't have to worry about either one of these." So. Right. 
processing that he was doing where he was just trying to justify everything for him. The only one that seemed like where he actually was somewhat sympathetic was the girl who was kind of like uh, the the one that he, he got together with, after, like where they were both kind of rebounding together. Yeah, and, the, like, that's her whole uh, life was a train wreck now. Yes, and, and that was uh, Lily Taylor, who, of course, was his yes. buddy in Say Anything. Oh, that's right. She Another kept writing songs songs about Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, again, they're really great ensemble cast. And uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about for Hyphen? No, those are the key. We Everything else we covered. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. We definitely plan on having you back. If, if it's not for another John Cusack movie, it'll be for something else. So thank <laughs> uh, you again, yeah. Baco. Absolutely. And I'm an expert on Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. So uh, <laughs> I think that's need... going to be the longest episode ever. And I, I might need numbers. <laughs> so, yeah, I have so many people already volunteering for that one. <laughs> so. All right. Well, thank you, Brian. It was a pleasure. Uh, it was also good to hang out with you and, and actually get to know you a little bit in Nashville. <laughs> it has been so long since we've had one of our favorite guests and she's back. Aww. For high fidelity, it's Lindley. Welcome back. Thank you. So, did you? It's been almost ten months. So, have you missed this at all, or even thought yeah, about it? Yeah, of course I miss it. I miss talking about movies with you, but well, we do anyway. Off we mic, do just off, off the mic. record. We should always record. have kept it going. Always like, record. Always yeah. record. That's from Tenacious D. Yeah. <laughs> Which, speaking of Tenacious <laughs> D, what a great, great. segue <laughs> into high fidelity. Was this the first movie you actually saw Jack Black in? I believe so, and I didn't know. I think he was famous for Tenacious D, meaning not the TV show, but the band, right? They played L.A. Mm -hmm. like, I think he was maybe I don't know the timing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know when the TV show was out, but definitely saw him on this, and then I watched the HBO okay. series, Tenacious D. Yeah. But yeah, he was just like a standout, like... He was meant for this role, this. too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's perfect for this role. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a he, great singer, you know. I mean, the whole how he wows them with the singing. At the like, end. He really does sing, you know, well, I guess. Well, you thought he was going to do some weird, crazy metal because he right, was Sonic Death were, funky. and right. Yeah, and then yes. he changes it to, and then he sings a Marvin Gaye song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sonic Death funky. Yeah. That was the name of their band. <laughs> yeah, which was which is great because he makes, as John Cusack put it, he makes Barry and Dick look, make or John Cusack's uh, character look sane because they're so... Right. they're so insane that like he yeah, looks yeah, kind of yeah. normal so oh, right you, right right yeah even though yeah he's a terrible human being he is movie, right? okay he's so when horrible. you okay. this is what i gathered from rewatching it I, yes. I really enjoyed the movie but growing up i i identified more john cusack and what he was going through but watching it now yeah he deserves everything but because you were young yeah he's exactly like 35 i don't mm -hmm. know how old he's supposed to be he's in his mid to late 30s is i would say early maybe 30s? early 30s he is like, acts like a 17-year-old when it comes to... He never grows I mean, up. Yeah, yeah. Like the, I mean, I guess that's the point of the movie, yeah. so duh. But the fact that he's calling all his old girlfriends and obsessing yeah. about this girl from her college, it's just like, God, you are pathetic. I know. You know? And you have this amazing, successful girlfriend mm -hmm. that you're, you know, finagling to cheat on her with. Okay, yeah. Whatever. That's the thing I missed the first time I watched it. Like, I didn't... I missed the whole cheating part. Like, that where he cheated on her. When she was pregnant. Oh, and then she had the abortion. But then yeah. he was trying to cheat on her again after they got back together. He was making that other girl that makes like the other like music journalist. Yeah, but then she was with Tim Robbins, Ray slash Ian. I've been with a John Cusack character <laughs> before. I was never the beautiful, successful lawyer, but <laughs> I was more like the Lily Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great scene where oh, he's like he, he's like so he dodged good. a bullet because he, because he yes, stays, he's like I can yeah. stay the night, but I'm not, yeah, not gonna yeah, do yeah. it. Yes. So, but the really the dark part is the second girlfriend because you oh, know they're in college. Okay. 
Oh. And he wants to sleep with her. What's her? Oh, oh, oh. And then she won't sleep with him because she's just not ready. Yeah. But they're not in college. They're in high school. No, they're in college. I no, think. no, they're high school. Okay. The college girlfriend is... Uh, what's her name? Michael Douglas's wife. Oh, Catherine Zeta-Jones? Yeah. That's was the that college girlfriend. I guess you're right. That's the college yeah. girlfriend. This is the high school girlfriend. Okay. That's why he's a total asshole. Yeah, he is. And then she's basically <laughs> date-raped with yes. the second one. The sec- because yeah. she felt so upset that he told everybody she was a prude or right. whatever. Talked bad shit about her. And, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, uh, not to make your <laughs> podcast explicit. I know. What is this? Yeah. Um, yeah. I really, it's very upsetting. Yeah. That, that seems very, yeah. That's crazy. So rewatching this over time, yeah. I so when you do you have, did you have these feelings first time you saw this? Yeah, I didn't like him. I like John Cusack. I mean, of course, you still empathize with him, but no, I didn't like him at all. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want her to end up with Ray. Yeah, <laughs> that is a great character, though. Tim Robbins <laughs> plays that perfectly. Character and Joan Cusack. Oh yeah, as where a she's friend. like, I really don't like this Ray guy, and then she comes running when she comes running and cursing him out. Yes, when she tells, because then she's like, oh, he borrowed, oh, she told him these five things. I borrowed money from her. Yeah. I got mad at her for having the abortion. I don't remember what the things were. I cheated on her. Yeah, you I borrowed, borrowed $4,000 A lot of money her. from yeah. her. Um, something about the abortion, I don't remember. That yeah. was hilarious, though, yeah. And then, um, so do you obviously like Jack Black. Did you like the, the dick character? Yeah, of course. Yeah. He was very... I mean, what else has he been on? I think this was it. This is, like, I his feel, main... I, there's a guy who looks a lot like him who's in the writing staff of 30 Rock, meaning fictional writing staff of mm-hmm. 30 Rock, who doesn't really ever say anything. And right. I think they even refer to them as, like, the writers who never say anything because they're always in the writing room yeah. of 30 Rock. It's kind of like an SNL thing, if you haven't watched it. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've watched it, but I, I don't know if you have. You have or haven't? No, I, I have not. Oh, okay. Not. 30 Rock is, like, whatever. Yeah. It's, like, SNL. No, so no, I've seen episodes. Okay. I'm, I'm not obsessed with it. I think he's in one of those scenes. Oh, okay. So maybe... I, yeah, I don't know. I could be wrong. I would have to cross-check that. Now, did you ever read the book for this? Because yes, it took place I've in London. I've read his yeah. books, and his books, I've read a lot. I think I've Nick read Hornby? all his books, because yeah. they take, like, two hours to read, you yeah. know, at most. They're quick. You know, it's yeah. like a quick read. And it's like a screen... I mean, it's like he's creating... They're so simple. There's sure. no depth that's not... The movie is always, I would say, better than the book. Although really? this is probably the only movie I'm that Did you see with. Fever Pitch? No, and I didn't read Fever because okay. I don't care about. So it was um, a. It's funny how they changed that one too. That one was about soccer. Yeah, and well, they, they made it for the American, yeah. American audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Which I like that movie too. So I like Drew Barrymore. I like the book yeah. better than the movie for High Fidelity. Yes. Okay. No, sorry, the movie better than the book for sorry, Fever it's Pitch. One of no for High Fidelity. <laughs> High Fidelity. Yes. I enjoy the movie more than the book. Okay. Also, the soundtrack of it's the movie great. is one of the best. I mean, I listen to it a lot. Yeah. Yes. Did more than Gross Point Blank. I don't know the soundtrack for a question. It's mostly like, 80s songs, but not obvious mm, 80s songs. Like, I don't uh, know. I just think the soundtrack for High Fidelity, High Fidelity is amazing. Yeah. And then they got Bruce Springsteen to cameo, which was cool. I don't even remember the Bruce Springsteen cameo. He's thinking about someone, and uh, and Bruce is and like telling him. to Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, okay. in his mind. And then, but it, Bruce is it. playing the guitar licks while he's... But they wanted Bob Dylan. Dylan wasn't available or didn't want to do it. They have a great Bob Dylan song in the soundtrack. They do. But not a Bruce Springsteen song. They do. They they play the river kind of a little bit. Okay, okay. Got it. Um, Of all the exes, who do you like best? So there's really only four. He mentions five, but you never actually see her. He just didn't want to put Laura on the top five list. So that's why he mentioned a girl. Laura's uh, the the, main girl. The main girl. Okay. Yeah. She is in the top five. No, doesn't he move? Doesn't he eventually he moves her to the top five after. <laughs> to the top five, that's <laughs> once, right. Once uh, so Ray. Four. We can consider um, Lisa Bonet in there if you want to. 
But he doesn't put her on the list. He doesn't. She, she's just kind of a fling. But it's a fling for both of them. Yeah. I don't... I mean, that was fine. So, yeah. So, did you like... <laughs> I hated uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones' character, yeah. as you were supposed to. Yeah. She was terrible. But then again, she was honest. With, they deserved each other, because he's... Yeah. You know, he was too insecure to even be with her. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then I felt the worst about the journalist, which was the, uh, the high school girlfriend. The date rape girl. Yeah. Yeah. That was sad. And he didn't really have any remorse about it when she told him the story. He's just kind of like, eh. He was always too self-absorbed. He was so self-absorbed and terrible. Yeah. But, yeah. That was, yeah. And then how did you feel about the two skateboarders who ended up releasing this? <laughs> I mean, that was a funny. I mean, it's cute. I really just liked, I liked the scenes with Tim Robbins when they mock, beat him up. Yeah. Right? They keep fantasizing. <laughs> yeah, he was, keeps fantasizing. Yeah. He also keeps fantasizing about her with him. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's like in bed with a blanket over his yeah. face, just like staring up there, which is just. Too <laughs> I just love he plays funny. up that character so well. He's like that new age hippie, you know. Oh the, my god, that the, is terrible. And you're in Santa so Cruz, gross. so you probably see a lot of Ian Ray's type Ian of guy. Ian Ray's, yeah, maybe. I don't think they would have jobs though. Is Ian Ray actually was a lawyer? <laughs> he was, was a he a lawyer? lawyer or, yeah, okay. I think he was a lawyer. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. He was actually successful, just horribly new aging. Right. So, so would you re- recommend this movie to, to people? Of course. I think it's a fabulous movie. And when's movie. the last time you saw it? Not too long ago, but I don't know how long ago I've watched it. Here's Recently, one. it's on TV a lot, so I think I'll watch parts of it. Like, mm-hmm. if I come across it on live TV, I will. I want to get your on perspective it. on this as, yes. a, as a female. Yes. Do you think males are more obsessive about collecting music or about their favorite artists than females are? Um, that is all. I mean, that's what I've encountered. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, do you so have many? It, I don't know if I have any female friends that are obsessive about collecting or things. just about. So I know for it seems like guys are like once they have a, their favorite band, yeah, they can be thirty years later. They're still listening yes. to the same band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like as many... I mean, obviously, you can't do a blank General statement. Yeah, it. exactly. I mean, I think he's definitely an archetype, like the John Cusack character. I feel yeah. like I've known a lot of people like that, right? Who yeah. then actually turned it into... A business. Type like, his dream is to open this mm-hmm. used uh, record store. But it seems like there's more men like Dick and Barry where they're so obsessed Dick and, and Barry were, yeah and kind of well, uh, very, that felt very music store yeah clerk. I miss <laughs> that like because I used to love going to music, music stores, stores. And, yeah where yeah. would you go now I yeah. mean Streetlight Records I guess but there's a few in San Jose but I, I still I always feel odd when you know I put my purchase on there I feel like I'm being judged every time you know <laughs> oh you're buying an Elton John album because today. the movie's out or Queen or something like that I'm like no I just don't have this <laughs> one yet feel that way today I think for certain I'm, I'm old enough to wear like you know, the children don't bother me anymore. But yeah. as a kid, I, I always thought I was being judged. Oh, definitely as a yeah. kid. Or you would be, yeah, of course. Yeah. And you didn't have online ordering except for, um, what was the music club? That you would oh, get, BMG like, and Columbia whatever, House? Columbia yeah. House, you would get 11 cassettes for a, for penny. a penny. Yeah, and then you would never pay because they didn't have your social security. But didn't number. you have to pay eventually? You were supposed Did to. They, come, they send you angry letters. How did they letters. ever make money then? I think that's why they went out of business because everyone was signing up a million times with different names. On Kimmy Schmidt, they still, uh, they subscribe to. BMG. I know, Columbia House. I am in a record club, but it's like these, it's called Vinyl Me, please. they still have it. It makes sense. But they're like these rare pressings that they reissue and everything, so it's kind of an exclusive type thing. Well, vinyl's really back, so 
it yeah. was kind of neat. I understand Vital's back. Yeah. yeah I get that. So it was neat kind of to see this uh, this premise. But no, it's interesting because Sarah Gilbert makes a cameo too, where she's talking to Dick about Green Day. Well, she they start dating in real life. They did no, no. Oh, um, she's the... gay. Okay. <laughs> 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 and, um, uh, in the movie, yeah. They oh, you're right. They do they go on do, a date. They yeah. are together. Like, yeah. it's his girlfriend. That's true. They kind of mock him for that, or yes. they try to. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Good point. See? Yes. That's why I have you on. Again, <laughs> thank you. Don't be a stranger. I know where you work, so oh, I can always uh, come in. Two feet away from you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you, Winwin. <laughs> okay, thanks. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie Memories. <laughs> I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to TeePublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to TeePublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science! Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. 
you will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Viera Vault on Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer new and old deep tracks of kick-ass guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to, That's the Growing Up Rock Podcast, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up.